0: Hey there. For a long time, it seemed China's President Xi Jinping has been able to consolidate more power than anyone else. But does China's shaky economic outlook put all that into doubt? I'm Aaron Young. Let's try to find out. Now, from our headquarters at Ticker Park, this is Ticker Today. So, once seen as an unstoppable economic powerhouse, major cracks have started to show in China's economic outlook. Major property developers have now begun failing, production moving overseas, youth unemployment also so high they're now no longer publishing the data. In the middle of all this is President Xi Jinping, who has looked to increase his control over the population as he sought to increase his political power. For more, we're joined by Stephen Noakes from the New Zealand Contemporary China Research Centre. Great to see you. What have you made of of the developments so far this year when it comes to President Xi Jinping's leadership?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's the continuation of a, a trend that has been in motion for quite a while now. Um, when Xi first came to power in um, 2013, um, it was clear from the very earliest points there, that he was going to do things quite differently than his predecessors in power had, um, and that this was going to be someone who who moved to really consolidate their rule. And now uh, we're in a situation where uh, this is the most concentrated uh, in the hands of one person that political power has been in China since um, really the mid to late 1970s.
0: Stephen, it feels like these are the sorts of things that all go very well when the economy is doing well. More and more power can be given. But when things start to turn sour, what does poor economic performance mean for Xi, or does it not matter anymore?
1: It matters. Uh, It matters because nearly all governments around the world, I say nearly all, there are a few rare exceptions, care a great deal about their own performance legitimacy. And for the Communist Party of China, uh, much therefore hinges on economic performance and on delivering the goods that uh, ordinary people expect the party uh, to deliver. Um, and so it's something that the party and she in particular would be quite sensitive to. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it's something that actually could, uh, if, if left unchecked or reached a, a certain kind of crisis or extreme point, um, bring a measure of, of instability to to China's uh, governance. And, and therefore, it's something that the party watches out very carefully for.
0: The past two decades, we've seen China's rise economically, but also this social contract where citizens essentially allowing increased surveillance on them by the government for the, uh, I guess, the tip for tat is the greater economic growth and, and economic stability. Now that comes under threat, do you expect to see any sort of pushback from the people, even an uprising?
1: Not really, to be honest. There are, of course, always limits to what ordinary folks will put up with. We saw at the end of the the, the COVID um, zero COVID policy, um, quite a lot of people pretty frustrated with uh, with governments, mm. uh, particularly in the Shanghai region. Um, but no, this is this this type of surveillance is entirely normalized and is generally not thought about in quite the same way that people in liberal democracies would think about surveillance.
0: How much worse do you think it will get for the Chinese economy every day? We're seeing more headlines out of China that there are big uh, companies, big property companies that are in all sorts of trouble. How much worse do you think it will get and what will the flow on effects likely be for the rest of the world?
1: I wouldn't say it's necessarily, I couldn't say, I should specify that I don't know how much worse it might get, it will simply be different from here on out because China has now crossed uh, some major economic milestones. It's it's no longer one of the world's poorest countries as it would have been in generations past. It is a middle income country, which means that it faces performance pressures that uh, countries at earlier phases of development uh, do not. It hasn't left those challenges behind, um, but it's going to come under uh, different kinds of pressure to keep uh, the economy growing in the way in which um, people expect it to. Uh, that's going to mean, in all likelihood, uh, a greater going-out strategy, um, uh, using the world's economic resources to enhance China's own. This is, in my view, um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people happy to disagree, uh, what the Belt and Road Initiative is really like or is really about. It's it's not for the world per se. It's uh, the outward-facing dimension of China's new and ongoing development challenges.
0: Will the government have to give any concessions, do you think, to the population?
1: Depends what you mean by concessions. Uh, I, I, well, I think suppose so. I mean,
0: will they have to um, do things in terms of make it easier for people to buy a house, make it easier for people to, to go bankrupt, for example?
1: It has to deliver on baseline public expectations. It's not the case, as is sometimes supposed of the Communist Party of China, that it can just run roughshod over the public and do whatever it pleases. It's not like that at all. Um, As I say, they're very, very sensitive um, to, to public opinion and changes in it and have gotten quite good over the last couple of decades at developing what we in my line of work call, uh, consultative measures. It's a very consultative form of government that seeks to gain information from the public about what that public wants and to give it to them, uh, to the best, um, of the government's ability.
0: Yeah. The other thing we've seen as well the past few years, China becoming a lot more isolationist when it comes to its overseas dealings as well, probably because it has a bit of a battle on every one of its borders. Also, its relationship with the United States souring. One positive place for it has been its relationship with Russia, particularly between the personal relationship between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. What do you make of that going forward?
1: This is one of those areas where I have to say what no one wants to hear, which is I can't say um, to be honest, it wouldn't necessarily strike me immediately to be the case that China is more isolationist. It's just pursuing a foreign policy in a manner in which previous generations of Chinese leadership have not.
0: But when you see President Xi unlikely to attend the G20, that's pretty unusual, right? Um, is that not a sign that China maybe is, is looking towards BRICS as opposed to the West?
1: It could be a sign of that, but again, I couldn't say for sure. Uh, I think the, the real implication of she's not attending is that uh, were there ever to have been a meeting with Biden on the books, it might have happened there. And now the two men won't be in the same place at the same time. Uh, but she is sending a delegate. The premier is going, at least that's the, the reporting mm. I have. Um, yeah. So there will, it's not as if there's no Chinese presence there as well.
0: Now, the past few years, China's been moving, though, more to an economy which ideally for them, they wouldn't really need to rely on outsiders. That hasn't been the case. And as we've seen with the economic fallout over the past couple of months, that China really does need to kickstart its economy post those COVID lockdowns, the COVID zero policy, which shut down so much of its factories, so many of its factories and its economic output and performance as well. But at the same time, geopolitically, it's in somewhat of a battle with many of the countries that it relies upon as customers, too. Do you see that changing?
1: No, not particularly, to be honest with you. For a long time, uh, China's economy has been very export-led. And the reason for that was that the vast, vast majority of Chinese people could not necessarily afford um, many of the products they were producing. They were produced for overseas markets. Uh, for that reason, and China was quite reliant on those markets, it remains so. Um, Though more people in China can now afford more of the things they produce, it's still a place where economic performance is quite heavily dependent on uh, international competitiveness.
0: And just talk to us about the relationship between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. How important do you think that is to the relationship, uh, to, to the countries that both leaders have a strong relationship?
1: It creates a certain sense, and this is an outsider's observation, that the United States is going to be more reliant on its traditional allies and treaty partners. And therefore, that those allies and treaty partners need to be treated with a great deal of respect, Um, because it would mean that China and Russia together, along with other allies they've got, could could be quite a, a force together.
0: Yeah, very much so. It will be certainly interesting to watch. Stephen, really appreciate your time. Thanks for dropping by Ticker News today.
1: No trouble. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And that is the program for now. For more, you can head to tickernews.co, get the latest breaking news and all the news on the US-China relationship as well. Marin Young, I do hope to see you soon.